Great. Well, good morning again, everybody. Morning to anyone that slipped in uh, during the course of the worship time. Um, Just lovely to have you with us and great to have you watching if you're watching uh, online. And as I say, if you're with us for the first time, my name's Jason. Uh, I'm the pastor here. uh, And it's really exciting to be stepping into a new series today, uh, which we trust is going to be encouraging and faith-inspiring and hope-establishing, those good things, uh, that we have called Paradise, Our Future Hope. Um, and, and, and I trust that that is something that is going to be encouraging for everyone. We said over the Easter weekend that the team felt, the leadership team felt it would be helpful to do some teaching into what our eternal hope in Jesus actually looks like. I think for many of us, it's quite fluffy and fuzzy and not very clear and not maybe based or we don't know how to base it on much of the Bible's teaching and truth. Uh, And so over the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. And in your little study notes, which I've handed out uh, for those in the building, you'll see uh, we've outlined what those next couple of weeks are going to look like. So this morning, I'm going to be kind of setting the frame. I'll say more about that in a moment. How do we start thinking biblically about our eternal life with God? What is this paradise of God that Jesus speaks about uh, in Revelation 2? Then next week, Ryan, our youth and worship pastor, he's going to be talking about how do we know we can actually get there? How, How do we have confidence to know that we can arrive at God's eternal paradise? Uh, then week three, we're going to be looking at some, some uh, important questions. I think these are questions that people often have as they talk to me. You know, what is it actually going to be like? What is this paradise going to be like? What are our bodies going to be like? You know, I've had people ask questions like, are we going to be able to fly? You know, does, does the Bible say anything about that? Or what about animals? Are there going to be animals in, in this new heaven and earth? And are, what are we going to do? Will we have jobs? You know, will we have to learn? Uh, What about our hobbies? Are we going to be able to be creative? Any any of you ever wonder any of about any of those? The Bible actually has some great things to say about that. Then week four, Ryan's going to talk about how do we make paradise, our eternal hope, part of our everyday lives. How do we allow it to influence the way we live, the way we live for God, and why is it so important through the Bible that we do that? Amazing how often we're called to do that, to live in light of the eternal hope. How do we do that and why is it so important? And then week five, and you'll see inside your little booklets, there's a little thing where you can write some questions, okay? Um, so uh, what we would like to do week five is we're going to do a Q&A and you know, take a risk and, and allow you to ask us any questions you have. And we will do as many of them uh, as we can. So, so as we go through the series, and we'll put the questions out for you, uh, you can write down what is a question. You know, Jason, you said something. Ryan, you said something. Or I thought about this, or I read this, or I've heard this. Or this is something that's been on my mind. Or I don't understand this. You can jot it down. Put it in the little box at the back. Um, and we will pick those up and answer those um, in week five. So, so that's a bit of where we're going. This is really important stuff. Our future hope in Christ transforms our perspective and our approach to how we do life today. It really does. It transforms our capacity for peace and joy in a world that is often full of hardships and pain. It's a mess. There's injustice. Things don't happen the way that we would hope. 
And Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, if we are just doing Christianity for the here and now, we are of all people most to be pitied. Isn't that amazing? We are of all people most to be pitied if all we are doing is living for now. If there is no resurrection of Jesus, if there is no resurrection of us, then Christianity really doesn't have much worth. But verse 20 goes on. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, we looked at that a bit last week. You can catch up that online if you want. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, As Adam sinned, death comes into the world. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We have a future hope. We have a future hope. It is an eternal hope that goes even beyond this life. So let's pray. And I am praying that through these next couple of weeks, God, through his word, through what we share, through our prayer times, through the worship times, through the ministry times, is going to crystallize in our hearts a vision of what we actually have to hope for and to live for. And that it is going to be a source of strength and courage and encouragement for you uh, in your life. So let's pray together. Uh, Maybe you want to put your hand on your heart or open your hands. Or or if not, you can just uh, be still and sit there. That's also fine. Uh, Father, we we come to you this morning. and, And you have said that your word is spirit and life. And you've said that we are to be transformed through the renewing of our minds. And so, God, we come to you and we pray where our minds need renewal on this, where, where we need to think differently, where we need to think more like you think than perhaps the way we thought in the past, where we need to maybe tear off out of our minds some of the broken imagery that we get from our world and popular culture about what life is going to be like eternally with you. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your word would transform us today that we would be able to leave with a greater capacity to have hope and to have courage in the world that we're in, whether life is great right now or life is hard right now, we know that ultimately it will be eternally better when we finally come to be with you if we have been victorious in our faith in this life. And so, God, would you grant us courage, would you grant us wisdom, would you grant us insight and revelation in the spirit that we would know your ways, that we would know your ways in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I really like a good puzzle. I'm not sure how many of you like puzzles. I love doing puzzles, love doing puzzles with the kids. Not everyone approaches puzzles in the same way, which is fine. You don't have to do them in the right way. Um, <laughs> I'm just joking. So, so people do them in different... I like to do the edges first and the corners. Who starts with the edges and the corners? Who just starts with the picture that you can find that's like... Okay, okay, a couple, just a couple, okay, but not as many. So I like to build the frame and the edges because I feel like then you know where you are and you can kind of build in from there. Or I, w- I was saying to someone else in the week, we were talking about this, it's a bit like driving with a sat-nav and you don't look at the map at all or the route of where you're going. How many of you have been in that situation where you just hit go and you don't actually know where you're going? 
You just know the next step in front of you. Turn left, turn right, go straight. But if it dies, you're in trouble because you have no idea where you are. You just know the next step in front. And that can be quite disorientating. And it can be spiritually disorienting if we don't know the big picture and we don't know how to piece everything together. So today what I want to try to do is give us the frame and the corners so that as we go through the rest of the series or as you are reading about this yourself or you come across this in what you're reading about, you know where to fit some of these things that speak about life after death and eternal life, and heaven, and the new earth, and, and where do all of these pieces fit together? And to be able to do that, we need to go right back to the beginning, to catch the beginning of the ark. So Genesis chapter 1 says this, verse 1, and then at the end of the chapter, verse 31. So verse 1, in the beginning, God created. It, like Everything about the Bible assumes this, that there was God, and there was nothing else. And then God did something, and he created all of us. And everything that we can see and all the things that we can't see, he makes everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 31, at the end of all of it, end of day six, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God creates, and what he makes is great. And this whole creation, as I say, it's bigger than just the things that we see with our eyes and that we can touch with our hands. Wayne Grudem puts it like this. He says, this creation of the entire universe includes the creation of an unseen spiritual realm of existence. There was a time heaven didn't exist. And then it was made. God created the angels and other kinds of heavenly beings, as well as animals and man. The creation of the spiritual realm is certainly implied in all the verses above that speak about God creating not only the earth, but also heaven and what is in it. You can look at those scriptures too. But as is also explicitly affirmed in a number of other verses too. So uh, if we have a look, for example, Colossians, and there are many that we could look at. Colossians 1.16. For in him, in Christ, all things were created. All things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. There was God and there was nothing, and there was God and there was everything that he had created. Nehemiah 9, 6 in the Old Testament. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. I often think about that when we're worshiping here, and, and Ryan's leading us in worship, or Allah, or, or Hyacinth, or Nikki, or leading us, and we're all singing, and you just suddenly pause for a moment, and you think, we're not alone in what we're doing right now. And the multitudes of heaven never cease to give worship to God. And so I guess you start the beginning of this narrative arc and we've got the original heaven and we've got the original earth. And they are different, but in a very significant way, they're not separate. They are together. They overlap. There are no barriers to access with God. But imagining that kind of world of heaven and earth integrated together and humanity in perfect relationship with God, that's quite hard for us, I think, to picture. 
I, I, I'm not sure if, if I were to ask you, and maybe I will, uh, ask you to imagine paradise. Imagine paradise. Just close your eyes for a moment and just imagine what do you think paradise with God will one day be like? What comes to mind as you try to imagine? You know, we don't often buy a, a holiday if we don't know where we're going. You know, you might never have been there before, but you have a bit of an idea of what it's going to be like. And, and so as you close your eyes and you think of, of this eternal paradise with God, like, you know, what comes to mind? How many of you had the sort of stereotypical angel on a cloud come to mind? And that maybe not so many of you. Mine probably looks a bit like Augusta, <laughs> for those of you who... Uh, know about my appreciation of golf. This was what I saw when I Google searched paradise. These were my top hits. Any of your imaginings look a bit more like some of that as you close your eyes. It was a beach and a palm tree or a waterfall or, okay, that's a bit more online. But, but I think it can be hard for us to imagine what does perfection for eternity look like? And I think part of the struggle is even our richest experience is of, of what seems best to us and glorious to us are in some way falling short because they're tainted by our own personal brokenness and the brokenness in our world. Henry Nguyen says this about the reality of this dynamic. He says, our life is a short time in expectation. So that's quite powerful, isn't it? A time in which sadness and joy kiss each other at every moment. There's a quality of sadness that pervades all the moments of our lives. It seems that there is no such thing as clear-cut, pure joy, but that even in the most happy moments of our existence, we sense a tinge of sadness. And he's not being like Eeyore as he's saying this. You know, he, he, I think, is describing the reality of our experience. In every satisfaction, there's an awareness of its limitations. In every success, there's the fear of jealousy. Behind every smile, there is a tear. In every embrace, there is loneliness. In every friendship, there is distance. And in all forms of light, there's the knowledge of surrounding darkness. But this intimate experience in which every bit of life is touched by a bit of death can point us beyond the limits of our existence. It can do so by making us look forward, and that's what we want to do through this series, look forward in expectation to the day when our hearts will be filled with perfect joy, a joy that no one shall take away from us, speaking of our eternal hope with God. And, and perhaps the best way we can get a picture of what is ahead for us is to look back at the best picture of perfection that we have in the Bible, which is seen in Genesis chapter 2, where humanity is connected with God in unspoilt creation. And I love this. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in all of his perfect creation, he had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he'd formed. You know, I think sometimes God's creation is breathtaking as it is, even in its fallen, broken state. And you can imagine, here's God, and he's made everything, and everything is perfect, and into this perfect creation, he says, I'm going to go even one step further, and I'm going to plant a garden, I'm going to create a space which is perfectly suited to humanity. And I'm going to put them there. I'm going to put them in this 
environment. And we see man and woman in perfect, sinless relationship with each other and with God. There's no shame. There's no brokenness. There's no hiddenness. They have this mandate to work, to be productive in an environment, and this is key, in an environment that will completely complement their God-given desires and abilities and potential. Can you imagine living in an environment that completely complements your God-given desires and abilities and potential? That is what they had. And so Eden, the garden, this place of the tree of life where they have access to God and eternal life with him becomes this connection point. Heaven and earth connected together, creation, humanity, and God all together. It's paradise. It's just such a pity it only lasts for one chapter. (laughs) Because then we have the brokenness enter. And Satan and the lie and this message that perhaps God is not as good as you thought. Perhaps your lives could be better if you did them your way and not his way. And we see what happens as they choose the enemy's way over God's way. They fracture and shatter God's perfect creation. And we have this separation that happens between earth and heaven. And do you remember one of the key moments in the whole Bible? If you have your Bible with you and you don't have this verse highlighted, this is a key one to highlight. If you want to understand the narrative arc of the whole Bible, it's Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. It is this moment of separation. And it says this, after he drove the man man out of Eden... This garden that he had planted, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim. And don't think of the sort of cartoony pictures of the cute little baby naked on a cloud. This is a powerful angelic warriors that stand at the entrance to Eden with this flaming sword to say humanity can no longer come in here. Paradise is now off limits. This flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That eternal life is now taken away. We lose full access to God. And in this place of separation, evil and sin and brokenness and sickness and death and separation and darkness can now flourish. But it's not without hope. And from that moment, if you've highlighted it now, from that moment, Genesis 3.24, the rest of the Bible is about how is God going to restore and bring back together his fractured creation. That humanity could be with God again and creation could be uh, together again. Earth and heaven reunited. And so as we move through the rest of the Old Testament, we begin to see these moments, if you like, of reconnection as as points of promise of what is to come. Think of, of, of Genesis 28, 17. And again, I'd encourage you to go away and read this and allow God to speak to you. It's that time where Jacob wrestles with God. Do you remember that? He wrestles with God and then he goes to sleep and he has this vision and he sees the staircase. And what does the staircase do? It joins heaven and earth together. And he sees the angels ascending and descending. And he says, this is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. 
this connection point. The first time we hear the phrase, the house of God, and we've taught at other times about how Jesus ultimately becomes the fulfillment of that as he becomes the gate and he becomes the house of God, a living temple. Or Exodus chapter 3 becomes another one of these little puncture moments. Moses and the burning bush. Do you remember what God says to Moses as Moses is walking towards this fire and God speaks out of the burning bush? Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, just like Ryan had done as he was leading worship this morning. Okay, Take off your sandals for the place, the place where you are standing is holy ground. The place where you are standing is holy ground. God had come down and it had become this overlap moment where heaven and earth collide and Moses comes into this environment of being face to face with God in the earth and yet it is this encounter moment. And there are many of these through the Old Testament. Two Chronicles, chapter 5, verse 14, another really powerful one in the temple. The priests could not perform their service because the cloud, the presence of God. Imagine this happened. I'm preaching here. We're leading worship. Suddenly, the cloud comes in and no one can do anything. Because so heavy and great and powerful and glorious is the presence of God in this place. That's what happens in 2 Chronicles. The glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. It is one of these overlap moments where God, if you like, opens the gate and lets a bit of heaven out and we experience it and encounter what we would have had and what ultimately is to come. And it's what Christ then makes possible. The next point in our big frame. I don't have four corner points It's a really complex puzzle today. It's not just square, okay? But this is another one of those key moments where Jesus comes and think of the things that he says. Can you remember some of the things he says about himself? He says, I am the way. I am the gate. I am the temple. These are ways of God saying to us through Jesus. It's God saying, and remember even the the prayer that he teaches us to pray. What What does he teach us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the whole plan to reconnect God's creation together and unify it under him. Ephesians 1, if you want to read that too. And Ryan is, is going to look more next week at how do we gain access into this both now and eternally. But, but even for us, what we experience today, even what Jesus accomplishes on the cross is actually just the beginning. Is just the beginning until he comes again. And we begin to see the prophecies of, for example, Isaiah come to pass as Jesus returns. Isaiah 65, 19. See, I will create, what, did he, what Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, the God, God created the heavens and the earth, and he's saying, I'm going to do it again. I will create again. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 66, 22. As the new heavens and new earth that I make will endure, in other words, forever, be before me, declares the Lord, so your name and descendants will endure. And so we have this prophetic hope that God is going to do something so cosmically huge 
that what was broken is going to be redone is going to be redone. And 2 Peter, if you want to have a passage to sort of meditate, maybe even learn, it's good to learn scripture sometimes, it's a bit of a lost art, but this would be a good one to learn, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13. And we have now this this detail of what is coming in the future. Can you see the yellow okay? I vacillated. Did I do yellow? Should I do another color? You can put it on the feedback. Jason, the highlight didn't work. Okay, 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, speaking of the second coming of Jesus. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed... Everything will be destroyed. In this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward. And hopefully that's what we're going to do after this series. We're going to be looking forward with anticipation and hope. It's like how you feel before you go on a holiday. Okay, We're looking forward to it as we look forward to the day of God and speed its coming That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, and he goes back to what we've just read in Isaiah, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now in this series, we are not going to focus on all of the events around the second coming And perhaps you've had some teaching around that before, and it's really important, things like the millennium, tribulations, the final judgments. Am I saying words that some of you have never heard? Okay? If I am, it's okay, and if you know them, it's okay, but that could be a series all on its own. So for the purposes of this time, it's enough to know that one of the key things that will happen when Jesus comes again One of the key things that will happen when Jesus comes again is everything that we see and everything that we've known, heaven and earth, in Peter's words, everything will be destroyed. And heaven and earth as we know it will end. And in a similar way, and this is why we we launched this after Easter Sunday, uh, for those of you who who missed it, uh, we talked about how um, our resurrection bodies are really based on the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is our first fruits. He's our example. He's the best illustration of what it's going to be like for us in the future. And in a similar way to the resurrection of Jesus' body, in a similar way to the resurrection of our bodies, we will see a resurrection of the earth and heaven. And to use Paul's words about our resurrection bodies, the earth and heaven will go from perishable to imperishable, from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power. Even scientifically, we know our sun will not last forever. This earth will not last forever. Just as your bodies can't last forever, they need to be remade. The creation that we are in needs to be remade. And it's almost impossible to understand what the Bible has to say about eternal life, about heaven, about life after death, if we don't understand this big picture narrative arc, that the current heaven is a temporary heaven. It was created and it will end. The current earth is a temporary earth. It was created and it will end. 
And so when the Bible speaks about heaven, when the Bible speaks about paradise, sometimes it's talking about what is there right now, and sometimes it's talking about what ultimately will come. And what ultimately will come, one of the best pictures of that is seen in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, which has up to this point and even right now, where is God's dwelling place? No, everyone's afraid to answer. What is Jason going to say? It's in heaven. God's dwelling place is in heaven. Yes, he's omnipresent. He fills everywhere. And he is everywhere. And he's here with us by his spirit. But his dwelling place is in heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. And so... Chapter 21 marks this final shift, the reunifying of heaven and earth as God's dwelling place comes down. And the final picture is one that is more like this. The separation is now not between heaven and earth, but is between the new heaven and earth where righteousness dwells and everything that is evil. Revelation 2, Jesus says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church, to the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes in faith, to the one who puts their faith and believes in me, to the one who doesn't, doesn't um, despise who the Son is and what he's taught, the one who doesn't run away and step away from God, to the one who remains faithful to the end, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is our eternal hope. I love what Mount says in his commentary on this verse in Revelation 2. He says, the paradise of God in Revelation symbolizes the final, or he uses the word eschatological, but it just means final, the final state in which God and people are restored to that perfect fellowship which existed before the entrance of sin into the world. We go back, actually we go beyond what they had in Eden because there is now no introduction of evil. Evil has been dealt with and we are free to live forever with God as we were made to live in an environment that will perfectly suit all of your God-given talents and gifts and abilities forever. And so the timeline is a bit like this. This is the best way I could depict it, okay? Well, actually, there are three corners. It's a triangle, okay? <laughs> so, uh, so we have God creates the original heaven and earth. It's fractured by sin. Jesus comes to restore and to heal and to bring this bridge again. And then when Jesus comes finally and ultimately, we will see everything is reconnected together just as he had always intended. 
Jesus says in John 6, 38, if you're taking notes, I'm not sure if this one is in your notes. I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall not lose any that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is God's ultimate plan for your life. It's sort of why I've taken up gardening. I thought, you know, there are some jobs which are not going to be useful in paradise, and one of them is a pastor. Like, what am I going to tell all of you when you know it all? (laughs) And we get there. You know, I'm going to be completely redundant. There will be no purpose. Uh, for everything that I've learned. So I may as well learn to do something that's going to have some eternal value, like learn to garden and play golf, because I'm sure we're going to do that forever. Okay, but this is it. Restored creation, perfect humanity, living in perfect connection with God. And, and, And I anticipate this may raise some extra questions for you. Maybe you've not thought about things in this way before. Maybe you sort of like, oh, but Jason, what about this passage? Or what about this verse? Or how does that work? Or what do you say to this? Uh, We would love for you to please write down your questions. As I said at the beginning, we want to do a QA and a as the last session. Hopefully that'll be some fun. Ryan and I will do that together. um, And we will try to answer some of the questions that you have about this. What I want to do now is pray and pray that, that as we go through this time, that God would begin to, to give us fresh insight. It's not new truth. It's the truth that's always there. It's just sometimes we don't see it. It's, isn't that amazing? Have you had that experience where you think, I've read the Bible like a number of times before, and I'm reading this, and I didn't know this was here. How does, how does that even happen? And it's because sometimes we read it with these physical eyes, And there are other times we read it illuminated by the Spirit, and it just grabs our hearts, and it grabs our minds, and suddenly our heart pictures about things change, and we engage with it differently, and it transforms from being a truth that we know to a truth that we love. Do you know the difference between those? They're things that you know, and then they're the things that you love, and eventually we'll love all the truth. We're on a journey to get there. Some of you know the truths that you know, and you kind of don't love them, (laughs) if you're honest. You're like, God, I don't love this truth. I know it's in the Bible. I can't find a way around it, but I don't like it. You know, and, and what we want is at the end of this time, for when we talk about heaven, when we talk about paradise, we talk about eternal life, actually something wakes up in you to go, yes. And, and what Edith read earlier, where Paul says, it will be better for me. It will be better for me to go. I think some of us don't think that it will be better, but it will be better. And, and hopefully we can feel that by the end of this time. So let's pray together. Maybe you want to stand. You've done a great job sitting for this. If you can't stand, that's fine. But let's stand together. And I think someone might need to call our worship leader. Um, we didn't work that out. Maybe Jess has gone to do that. Um, thank you, Lord. Jess is on it. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just aware, we were praying about this in the pre-service prayer time, that there are things in the Bible that are hard for us to get our heads around without your help. You see, we can't understand the love of God without your help. It goes beyond 
human understanding. I, I can't explain us into an experience of the love of God. But Holy Spirit, you're able to do that. Um, there are spiritual truths that are spoken in spiritual ways that we can't, we can't grasp without your help. And, and Father, as we come to this and our eternal hope, the thing that your people have, have willingly suffered for throughout the history of the church, that the, that the apostles died for because of this belief in what was to come, God, I pray that you would strengthen our resolve, that you would clarify our imagery, that you would enlarge our hope, that as we think about our future, it would be such a source of strength for us, that as we face the struggles of life, as we face hardship, as we come to places where we maybe have to sacrifice in our relationship with you, that we would be able to do it with joy because we actually know what is coming. And we can live making an investment in the future because we know it's worth it. And this is like grass, it withers and it's gone. But what is coming will stand forever. So God, I pray, just as you've already put eternity in our hearts, like a seed, may it germinate in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for those that have been watching online. Uh, and we trust this has been helpful. And we hope that we will be able to see you soon. Okay. God bless. We'll see you soon.